So, this is episode number 92. 92, baby. And we're bringing back the legendary Apple Sheep. That's right, my boy Drew from Taylor Tech. And coming up next on Fight Drive, episode 92 will start now. people this your boy viper the man about tech and welcome back to another episode of Viper drive this is the podcast about tech hosted by the man about tech and today i am bringing back for the fourth time to the podcast the legendary apple sheep my man drew which you better know him as Taylor of Tech is here. What's up, hey. Drew? How you doing? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Good to be back. <laughs> the fitted chair, yes. Yeah. Oh, God. The fitted chair routine. I like it. For those <laughs> of y'all listening on, back. No doubt, man. Thank you for joining me. For those of y'all listening on audio only, my man came in here with the fitting chair routine. He's fitting in his chair. He's here. <laughs> What's up, now? I'm a little dizzy. I wasn't sure how long the intro was going to take, so I just spun for a good 30 minutes before we started. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you as always, man. No doubt. No problem. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. So I want to start off a little differently with you today. Um, okay. I think about two or three weeks ago, I had Marquez on the podcast, and Ooh. I was talking to him about his review, Drew, of the $700 Mac Pro wheels. Uh, Mar- <laughs> yeah, right, right. Marquez yeah. actually sat down, looked at the camera with a straight face, and actually did an eloquent, articulate review of the <laughs> $700 Mac Pro wheels. But yeah. it wasn't so much as a review as it was a philosophical take on why Apple is charging that much for a set of computer wheels. Right. Um, and it's I like think a the, TED Talk. <laughs> right, right. The general gist of his video was that it's not about like charging $700 for the wheels. It was more about Apple trying to maintain a certain ideology, a certain like uh, uh, image, per se, right. of being a luxury brand. Obviously, mm-hmm. they don't expect many people to buy those wheels at $700, but Apple, you know, they like to charge a lot for a certain thing. Like, remember the original Apple Watch edition with $17,000? Oh, God. The damn stand. <laughs> yeah. The the, yeah. the Pro Display stand is $1,000. The Mac the Pro Wheels. The book, $300, right? The Mac, <laughs> the Mac Pro Wheels, $700. So, Drew, do you really feel like Apple needs to, like, charge these endorbitant prices that they know people aren't really going to go for <laughs> just to maintain an image? Because I, I believe that the image is, is ingrained in our brains. They don't really need to charge the prices to maintain that image. How do you feel about mm. that? Yeah, I'm definitely no business expert. I know Marquez has, I think, a bachelor's in business degree. So he probably goes more into the philosophical than I do. I'm just a professional consumer. If there is an effort terminology of that, I'm just good at knowing what I like to buy and recommending people to buy. But I even as an Apple sheep, don't agree with it. I I don't look at Apple the same way some companies would look at uh, Supreme or Gucci or a luxury brand and they're trying to obtain their luxury name. I I actually still disagree. I thought it was a great video though because it's very easy to look at the surface level of $700 wheels. Those are expensive. Those are bad. And Marquez was trying to dive into the, the, the logic of it as to why they're $700 and um, the, the purpose of them is basically the wheels are more marketing than they are actually cost $700 to make. Right. Um, but I think I fall a little bit more on your side of it. Like I agree with the idea that the brand recognition is there. 
the the brand loyalty and and the supremeness of it or the or the luxurious luxuriousness of it is is present. It's already here, and I don't think that people finding out about seven hundred dollar wheels makes them feel better about their four hundred dollar iPhone. Like I don't think that flips anybody. And also, companies that go into you know like like Supreme or Gucci or, or luxury sportswear where they're trying to inflate demand for something, even if it doesn't cost them that much to make, they have this insane upcharge on it. Th those aren't like the most popular clothing brands in the world. I mean, they're well known. And they're famous, but they're not like everyone has one. It's not right. like everybody wears it. It's intentionally rare and exclusive. Whereas in the U.S. and a lot of different demographics, like almost everybody has an Apple product of some kind. Yep. It's like well-known household name, iPhone, iPad, just super well-known, super common Apple Watch number one watch in the world. Um, that's that's why I don't really see Apple the same way as I see those kind of off-brand like super high-end, super luxury. And people buy them with the intention, people buy shoes and clothing from them with the intention of selling them to make a profit because they're limited edition. And that works for a certain business model, but I don't think that's what Apple's business model is. Uh, I, I think the Apple's reasoning behind the $700 wheels is probably very close to what Marquez justified it as. But I still don't think it's a good idea. The fact that they don't lock is even more <laughs> right. ridiculous to me. Like, I, I'm mad with a lot of the, the Mac Pro and the Pro Display hardware as a whole. And that is just a, another nail in the coffin to me of how ridiculous <laughs> it is. It's like, to me, I, I know Apple does that sometimes, but there's other times where they have stuff at great value. And I think that's where they shine best. And I don't think they needed to do this to retain their brand recognition or, or brand loyalty or, you know, the premium factor. I don't think they needed to do this. They just no. did it because they knew they could. Um, and they think it's going to help with brand, but I don't think it does. I don't think it makes a difference. And another aspect of it is the fact that they know that even though most people probably won't buy a set of computer wheel for $700, um, the moment they put that out there, media outlets are going to cover it like crazy. Now, of course, me, you, Marquez, anybody in the tech space, yeah. we're going to cover that. So part of it might just be for that press. You know, I don't know if Apple needs so, it. That's yeah, the press, I think but, that's yeah. part of it. Yeah, I, I think the best argument someone provided as to why it's a good idea is because the press, uh, when we talk about $700 wheels, immediately compare it to what else you could buy from Apple for $700, which in itself is kind of indirect marketing of like, well, 700 bucks, you could get an iPhone 11, you could get an iPhone SE and AirPods for that. And, and that's indirect marketing of people go, oh, you can 700 bucks, I can get <laughs> AirPods and iPhone. So it's, that's a decent argument, but still, I don't, I don't think that was worth it. <laughs> yeah, I, it's I still mean, a bad product. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I could probably count on one hand. Oh, I'm, I'm guessing that I could count on one hand how many people actually brought those wheels for seven hundred dollars. Well, at least I know two of these. <laughs> Lou and Marquez. That's about it. <laughs> so, exactly, he's the only one I know. Yeah, him, him and Lou, who, uh, him and Unbox Therapy. That's about it. That might be the only two. Make maybe. a video about it. That probably makes more than seven hundred bucks in the wheels. Paid probably, <laughs> you're right, 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 right. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. I'm a. I want to get into WWDC with you in a minute. A minute here, mm -hmm. but I want to talk first about our buddy John Prosser. Um yeah. Now, I don't know. I'm still. I really don't even understand how it happened, but somehow <laughs> we went from John Prosser like casually throwing out a leak every now and then to practically becoming the world's most accurate Apple insider in a span of three months, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> 
you got you got people like high up at Apple and outside of Apple that are sending this man information about Apple products and things like that. He's been leaking it and right. he's been highly accurate. I want to talk to you because I know that you've been doing Apple coverage for like what three, four years now, five years, I think mm-hmm. now. And I know people have given information information to you at times about like things that may or may not be happening inside of Apple. But right. you have not really taken that information and made it public per se. So tell me, tell us your thought process about getting inside information about Apple and things like that happening around Apple, but your, your choice, maybe not to really do anything with that information too much. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think it's because um, it, it gets really messy. And I talked to John a lot once his, his videos and leaks started blowing up and he was getting a lot of attention from that. And he was describing to me how stressful it is um, leading up to the leaks and figuring out what's right and what's wrong. And, and, um, it's, it's quite a lot of pressure. And I think it takes, it kind of positions you in a different place in the tech community. It positions you away from one of the crowd to now one of the elite in a way. It's like, you're now behind the scenes. I have contacts, but I can't tell you who they are. And I I think it can very quickly become, uh, it just becomes an ego battle very easily. It can become a, this leaker said this, this leaker said this, and they're contradicting each other. Well, you should believe me because I'm right and I'm right, and or he's wrong. And, and, and it can go back and forth and turn into a he said, they said this type argument. And I, I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm more in the department of just wondering what they are going to do and, and diving into that more. And there have been uh, sources or whatever that try to reach out to me or, or contact me in the past, but um, I prefer kind of hearing what they say and then seeing what actually happens to d- decide for myself on an internal level whether or not they, they really can be trusted. But mm-hmm. um, either way, it it's it, it just positions yourself in a, in a different way in the tech community, one that I'm not really a fan of. I, I prefer feeling like part of the audience, being there at the event, watching it unfold with everybody else and kind of uh, speculating because I feel like uh, the leak game is not super um, it's not super sustainable in the long term. I, I feel like short term you can get a lot of press and you can get a lot of clicks around it but um, I, I've yet to see someone who can kind of long term keep leaks reliable uh, and, and kind of continue to make that their primary source of content. You know, if you if you do it every once in a while, it's one thing. But when you try to do that, is that's the only you're only going to make videos when there's leaks. Uh, you'll run out of things to leak for <laughs> products very quickly, um, which results in a lot of leakers being like intentionally vague or intentionally quiet on certain things, um, and or or you just become incredibly gullible and you'll start saying confirmed for everything. Oh yeah, this is confirmed. This is happening. This is happening, and then it doesn't. And then people have a harder time believing you. So um, it's interest. I'm interested to see how how the leak uh, game for him is going to go long term. I mean, he basically gave us everything to know about the iPhone 12, and now mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff to know about Apple Glass, which is still years away. Um, so so in the long term, I'm curious to see how those leaks and rumors will hold up as Apple's plans change and uh, their prototypes change and things go on. Uh, if you just keep updating that over time, I don't know, but um, it's just not content I've experienced much uh, long-term success with, and also just on a personal level, I just don't enjoy the whole like, well, it's coming for me, so believe me, and if you don't believe me, 
you're wrong because I'm right. And I just don't <laughs> want to mess around with that. I got you. I got you. Shout out to those y'all listening to the podcast this week on audio only. Thank you guys for tuning in. Always appreciate you guys hanging out. I got my man Drew here from Take Up to Tech today. I appreciate it. If you would like to support the podcast, no, no doubt. If you would like to support the podcast monetarily, there will be links in the show notes for you to do that. So thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Also, if you happen to be listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating or review as it helps more people discover Bipe Drive and we want more people to lock in and enjoy the podcast. So thank you. So Drew, I, I, I find it interesting your your uh, your thoughts on um, not wanting to get into the league game because I told John when I had him on the podcast with Max, I think it was three weeks ago or whatever, I told him that yeah. every time that he dropped a major Apple League, he could potentially be putting people's lives in jeopardy, not their life, but their their job and their livelihood yeah. because you know, I hope not their life. <laughs> yeah, he could be he, he could be putting their jobs and their and their and their livelihoods in jeopardy because we know that Apple has a security task force trying to track down people connected to him, and we know that oh, yeah. if, if oh, yeah. Apple ever finds out who connected to him, their jobs are gone or their connections to oh, Apple yeah. are gone. So, I, right. I I find it very uh I, I think it's very probably wise if you would like to stay away because. Apple doesn't, they don't like leaks. I mean, we know that yeah. Apple does not like leaks. So it's crazy out for there, sure. for real. Mm-hmm. And, and I think um, a, a bigger point about sustainability with, with your channel and, and coming up with something that you can live off of and grow the channel with slowly over time is that like when, when you play the leak game and you attract a bunch of viewers and you attract a bunch of people to your channel purely because you have the more recent leaks or you have up-to-date leaks, they're not necessarily at that point coming for you now. They're coming to the channel because they want to know what happens next. And as soon as you don't have what happens next, now they're not interested, which is why to me, it makes more sense to build the content or build the the channel brand around what you have to offer because someone won't be able to take that away really easily. Um, Like you and your podcast and how uh, you make videos with this persona and this personality that people love. They can't get that from me. They can't get that from someone else because that's you. That's inherent. Um, whereas if, if you play the leak game and you become kind of dependent on it, uh, I don't think he's become dependent on it. I'm just saying that can be a danger of it. Right. Uh, then you get to the point where if your sources or if your leakers start saying, hey, man, my boss is really cracking down on where these sources are coming from. I'm getting nervous. They're going to start searching my devices or searching our text message history. I'm going to back out because I don't want to lose my job. Or it could even come from something smaller than that. It could come from, hey, man, you're getting a bunch of press. You're getting a bunch of clicks. You're getting a bunch of attention from what I'm telling you. And I'm not getting anything out of it. And you're making a career out of it. Can I get a share of that? Can I start it? And you have to start (laughs) supporting them financially. So I feel like it just gets messy really quickly, uh, other than just an occasional leak here and there. But um, if that's exclusively what you did, I don't think it would it would last long term because that can very easily be taken away. And you're right. Apple cracks down on those things fast, um, whether they flood the market with fake leaks and see when you start right. uh, reporting that they can they can find it down. But uh, they got the resources. They got the legal team. They will win that battle. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I was just about to say um, at some point they're going to put out fake information to see who who uh, how he gets in there. Um, if he leaks it or not, and if he leaks, if he starts to leak fake information that's not true, then Apple will be able to hone in on who's giving him that info. Exactly. And that's, that's it. It's over right. after that. Yeah, but definitely. All right, so let's mm-hmm. get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. We are two <laughs> weeks away from WWDC 2020. This two weeks. Two weeks, baby. This is Apple Software Develop- Developer Conference. We know that we'll get, we'll finally get the official unveiling 
of iOS 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, iPad OS 14, Mac OS, TVOS, Watch OS, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So we 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 know a few things, but I don't know if we know too much about what's going to happen at WWDC this year. Also, there's supposedly going to be new hardware unveiled at WWDC as well. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. see if that happens mm-hmm. or not. But let's start with iOS 14. Um, so far, we've heard a few things. Uh, one of the main things that we've heard so far is that Apple may make some third-party apps. Uh, they might allow them to be the default, oh, yeah. like uh, mail, mm-hmm. calendar, and I think uh, music or something like that. Right, um, right. So, so what else do we know about iOS 14 and what we might could affect, Drew? Well, the more recent rumor I've read that I thought was kind of interesting was that it's it's going to be available on every device that had iOS 13, which is always good news because mm. it means everybody gets another year of updates, whatever right. those features may be. But I'm always happy to hear that because it just means uh, older devices get more life in them. And I think there's even been a few emails, Craig, shared with... Uh, People about redesigning the uh, call animation, which I was really happy about because I've wanted them to redesign any kind of pop-up for years. Like I, I feel like anytime we get like a pop-up in the in the screen, whether it's a low battery warning or enter your password in setting, it needs to be a notification that drops down but doesn't interrupt what you're doing. Right. So I'm hoping that that's kind of iOS 14's theme is the redesign of the, the pop-ups. And if Siri could be redesigned to not take up the entire... Yeah, <laughs> display every time you use it too. There's so many little design tweaks, but I think ultimately I'm not looking for a giant overhaul. I'm looking more so for uh, stability, software patches, not not a buggy release that iOS 13 was for so many people. Woo! But at the same time, I know Viper. I know you want split screen. You want picture in picture. I want picture in picture. I want it. <laughs> you want it I want it. Have we heard? I I have heard nothing that will account for any type of multitasking on iPhone. Is there any possibility, Drew, that in iOS 14 we can get some semblance of, mo- of real, not this crappy multitasking that Apple calls app switching. I mean real-life <laughs> multitasking. Is there any possibility, Drew? Any possibility? Uh, well, the, the leaks are not in that favor. I haven't ah! been hearing much about that. But um, I don't know. I, I've been using the OnePlus 8 quite a bit, and there were a couple of times where I did split-screen multitasking, but they were fairly far and few between. So I can't say I would use it that much, but I'm I'm for the option. I'm for it being there. So I'm I'm with you there. I want it to be a thing, but I don't know if I'd use it very much. So maybe maybe it's because iPhones have such little RAM compared to competitors. Maybe that's the hold up or something. I don't know. I don't know if that's a valid excuse because the functionality already exists on iPad. And it's not like iPads mm. have a boatload of RAM. No. I don't yeah. think that's it. That, and that's what makes it more, even more infuriating for me, Drew, is that's that true. the functionality is already on iPad OS. And yeah. iPad OS and iOS are practically the same code. So, in my mm-hmm. opinion, it shouldn't be no issue for Apple to be able to bring picture and picture to iPhone when the code is already in place on iPad OS. I, they just, for whatever reason, they won't do it. And it infuriates me to no end. And I just don't understand why. <laughs> it's definitely one of those Apple stubborn things because. That there, there must come down to some ideology of too many things on the screen or the screen not being big enough or something. But uh, the the sad thing to remember is that even if picture in picture was a thing, YouTube wouldn't support it because they don't support it on the iPad. So true. There's two walls in the way of that dream. I mean, that's all good and well, but if I can get it on uh, on a Safari, then I'll i work with it. I can do true. that. Yeah. But it's just, <laughs> annoying. Eventually, right. going to run out of stuff to add. They're going to have to do it. I, I would hope so. I, I would hope so. So, if uh, yeah. we we know about a few things coming with iOS 14, 
But what we don't know, Drew, is what's happening with iPad OS 14. Have you heard anything? Because I've heard nothing. I've heard next to nothing other than the pro apps coming. Of, but that's not even really iPad OS. That's just like more app support, like Final Cut, Logic, and Xcode coming to it, which in itself I think is exciting. But um, there's a bunch of little things I've heard people request. Like for for me, a big one would be redesigning external monitor support, so you could plug in the iPad on any monitor and actually have another window to work with, not just mirroring the iPad's display. Um, something like that would be really big for me, or uh, making basically iPadOS more macOS-like, maybe letting the home screen be redesigned to be a little bit more like the Mac, or just giving it more access to, to the file system and, and file managers for when you're plugging in drives and stuff like that. So uh, iPadOS was big. I felt like that was a huge update for the iPad. So knowing yeah. how they've got to top it this year is going to be fascinating, but yeah, I can't, I, I can't think of much else because they've already kind of. You're right. We, the iPad's already done a bunch of stuff we want the iPhone to do. So right. When it comes to the iPad itself, it's like, mm, I don't know. Now, I, um, I hope they got something big. No doubt. So one of the, some of the rumors that I have been hearing about iPad OS, um, kind of relates to the Magic Keyboard. I know you have a Magic Keyboard. I got mine about a week or two ago. Um, I love it. It's my favorite product of 2020 so far. I love the magic really? keyboard. Yes. Um, nice. I don't like the battery drain, but I love the oh it, once you get past the battery oh. drain, I love it. Love it. <laughs> but <laughs> I there have are, the battery drain. Oh, I have it's it's no fun. But uh -oh. but some of the features or some of the potential uh features that could come to the iPad are in relation to the magic keyboard. Right now, mm -hmm. there's no function role, so I think the Apple might be implementing more keyboard shortcuts to uh assess features like Right now, Good. with the Magic Keyboard, Good. you can't change the backlighting without actually going into the iPad settings to change the backlighting. So that right. kind of sucks. There's no volume. There's no uh, there's no volume controls on the keyboard, so you got to actually touch the nope. iPad to access volume. So I think I've mm. I've heard a uh, leak about those issues being addressed with uh, maybe iOS or iPadOS 14, adding some of those features to the actual keyboard, so you don't have to touch the iPad as much. Because one of the things I do like about the Magic Keyboard, Drew is that I find myself touching the iPad less and less, and I'm not really complaining about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think I'm with you, too. As long as I've been using this, it's been kind of a brand... It feels like I got a brand new laptop now that's also my iPad that I can alternate back and forth to. So, yeah, it's it's definitely been fun. I, I've, I've enjoyed it. But, um, yeah, the, there are a few of those weird things missing, like volume and function keys and stuff like that. I feel like most of that could be fixed via uh, keyboard shortcuts and being that being redesigned or something like that. But yeah, I, I, I haven't had the battery train issue. I don't know why some people have, but I hope that can be fixed via software. I hope that's not some type of hardware issue, but uh, yeah, the backlit being changed as well. Um, any yeah. old kinds of keyboard shortcuts would be nice. I like the ones we have now. We just need more. <laughs> yeah. Um, so overall, are you, uh, are you loving your magic keyboard? I remember I, I, I locked your uh, live unboxing of it, but it's been a while since you did that. So how are you liking the Magic yeah. Keyboard? Oh, I'm loving it. We used it last night. Also, just from the standpoint of finally being able to prop up the iPad and adjust it in way more ways than the previous like folio covers. You could only really lock it at one orientation. This is way more flexible than that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely become my favorite laptop because it's got Face ID, which works at a really reasonable distance and I can still type around and when we do our spreadsheets and stuff like that, the cursor support really thought out and more and more apps are uh, updating for cursor support now, which is really cool. Twitter, being able to 
uh, go through Twitter and have the cursor change for the different options and bubbles and stuff like that. I was like, oh, thank you. The more apps that optimize, the better. Yeah. And I love seeing it get more applicable and get more useful as more apps update. So I'm loving it. Yeah. I, I know it's expensive. I yeah. agree. It's very high price, but you do kind of get what you pay for because there's not really another accessory Amen. that is this easy to set up and dock. And that there's Bluetooth keyboards, but those are so much more cumbersome to charge and pair. And I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> Listen, man, you guys know I've had several keyboards. I've covered several keyboards on the channel. I've had the Logitech keyboard. I just brought the bridge keyboard back in December, but none of them, mm. none of them touched the magic keyboard. The magic keyboard is the single best iPad keyboard I've ever had. It's worth every penny. I have no regrets except for the battery drain, but that's that, that go without saying. <laughs> but other than the battery drain, I'm in love. Like I said, it's my favorite tech product of 2020 so far. And mm. I would highly recommend you guys consider getting a Magic Keyboard if you are in the market for an iPad keyboard. You will not regret it. That's a okay high-priced Apple item. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> We're good with that one. <laughs> no doubt. All right, so we talked about iOS 14. We just talked about iPad OS 14. So let's move on to watch OS 6, right? And we're on number 7. Seven. Seven. You're wrong. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> They're all blurred together now. Yeah. Watch your seven. So I've, I've heard a little bit. Uh, we're going to get some mental health features, some more health features. But what have you heard about Watch your seven? Very little. Uh, a couple of unreliable people saying that it's going to get uh, dr drastically redesigned in some big fundamental way. Uh, that would be kind of cool because it'd be a surprise. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I've essentially only heard like ECG coming to more countries or mental health features and uh, I, I I cannot figure out how a watch is supposed to help you with anxiety or stress because if it notified me, I would just get more stressed out because now the watch is concerned for my mental health. <laughs> oh, no, I must be stressed <laughs> out. So I don't know what really they can do with it at this point. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what they can think of because it's like it's. Like how we're already forgetting. Are we on Watch OS six or Watch OS seven now? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> what did they add last year? Oh yeah, they added a, the noise uh, alert feature yeah. where it hears things that are too loud. Like it's getting tougher and tougher. I'm actually working on a video about the Apple Watch peaking early and and kind of how I feel like the watch kind of ran out of things to justify annual upgrades with very quickly. Um, and how that's not a bad thing, but it's the reality of the situation. So watch it seven might be evident of like, we're kind of running out of ways to <laughs> improve this. I don't know. But I think I, I, when I was talking to Brandon Butcher a few weeks ago, I told Brandon, I think the Apple watch could be potentially bigger than the iPhone one day. I think Ooh. Apple could do a lot with the uh, Apple watch. I am still bigger. waiting for, I, yeah, I think it could be a bigger product than the iPhone. Wow. I am okay. still waiting for smart bands. I ha I know we've had yeah. of smart bands. <laughs> I, I know it's possible. Um, I'm waiting for Apple to implement smart bands. Sorry. For example, uh, slap a band on it that gives you extra battery life. I mean, that would be that would pretty be pretty cool. Because right now the Apple Watch left, like I think right now the Apple Watch battery life is uh, maybe two days, maybe two and a half days, depending on how mm -hmm. you use it. But slap a band on it that add maybe a week worth of battery life. I mean, things like that. Or I that think would some, be wonderful, right? Or some people were talking about maybe uh, adding smart bands that provide additional health features like uh, taking your blood pressure and things like that. Right. So I think there are a myriad of possibilities that Apple could open up if they were if they were to find a way to implement smart bands. I think that would just be next level. Yeah, I kind of forgot about the smart bands thing. There was rumors of that years ago, but it never really formulated into anything. So I've kind of just left it off the table for a while. But yeah, I think that uh, providing customization, not just for your fashion sense, but also for 
the functional sense yeah. uh, per user uh, could really free up um, some requirements of the Apple Watch because you know they they can only make the battery so big in this thing. Yeah. But if they let you start storing that in in bands and stuff like that, yeah, there's a lot of potential there. I just I, I wonder why they haven't really acted on that yet. Or that's something to do with power and data communication between yeah. this connection type that's that's a hold up or something. I don't know. I, I you're right though. I've kind of forgotten about smart bands of some kind. That would that would be that would be big if they could make it work. All right. So the next two haven't really heard much about either, but we got uh Mac OS 10.16 and then watch OS with 14, I think. Oh, no, no, watch OS, uh, TV OS uh, 14. <laughs> have you heard anything about Mac OS 10.16? I haven't heard too much. Yeah, I haven't heard essentially anything other than bringing more like iPad apps over to the Mac. Like they want to finally get iMessage working correctly on the Mac. Right. It still does not support the screen animations that's that we've had since iOS 10. <laughs> it's coming up on four years, and it still has to say "sent with confetti." You know, they still are back on that, despite having dedicated GPUs that the Apple Watch can handle. The Mac still can't do it. Not right. that that's a big feature, but macOS Catalina has been really crappy for me. It's been mm. crappy for a lot of people I've talked to. So I know some people it's worked fine, but um, I think macOS is due for a stability, performance-focused update that's not trying to do anything crazy. Um, I, I don't have a lot of requests other than just let it work properly. Don't, <laughs> don't have, that, that's what annoyed me about Catalina is they were like, okay, iTunes is gone and now have a bunch of bugs. You're welcome. There's Mac OS. <laughs> and I didn't even put the beta on my iMac. I just went with the official release and it was still full of bugs and a bunch of apps that didn't work. So I'm hoping that we just get a more stable release, but really hoping for, the launch of ARM MacBooks at this event. I know that's kind of a wild card, but that's probably my most exciting leak that I've heard might come out at this event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now let's talk about your favorite thing, Apple TV and TVOS. <laughs> I mean, I mean absolute I would, favorite. I know, absolute favorite. I don't know how much you love Apple TV. So <laughs> I don't. I don't know if we've heard anything about. Uh, I think I haven't heard anything about a TVOS uh, fourteen. But what I have heard. It's right and, here. I love it so much. Yeah, Drew Drew has his <laughs> Apple TV in his hand right now. He uses it so much. But I have heard from our from our buddy John Proctor that there is a new Apple TV ready to be shipped at any moment. Yeah. So maybe that might be unveiled at WWDC. And the only thing that's going to be different about that Apple TV, as far as we know, is it's going to have, I think, what do you think, the A12X chip or something? So we can, yeah. so we can power more Apple Arcade games. But other than that, there's nothing <laughs> to it. Yeah, you know what? Let's get it out. Let's get Rancy Drew. Let's get let's get Drew okay. an Apple TV overdrive. Explain <laughs> to the people why you hate Apple TV so much, because I know you hate it. Okay, because Apple is used to being the cutting edge of product design. They want to be all on board with USB-C. They want to be on the next level with CPU and GPU architecture. They want to have uh, five nanometer chips. On certain things, they're next level biometrics with touch ID and face ID. They want to be above everybody else. But when it comes to somehow the simple market of streaming devices... They over-engineered it, they over-complicated it, and they haven't moved on like everybody else has moved on. Okay, we've got $40, I literally saw it yesterday, $40 streaming sticks now that can do HDR, 4K, Dolby, like 40 bucks. And you can plug it into your TV. You don't need a dedicated little box on the TV stand to play content at high resolution. And they're still charging 180 bucks for this thing. Yep. And their approach to fixing it, Make it more expensive. Put an A12X <laughs> chip in there. Make it more powerful. It's like they've tried so hard 
and so desperately to be like, we can make a game console. It'll make like <laughs> console-like experience. And no one does it. There's like three people that actually play games on their Apple TV, but they couldn't get Minecraft to be popular. So if you can't even get Minecraft, you're not going to get Apple Arcade to be popular because Apple Arcade games are all built for the iPhone and the iPad. The right. Apple TV versions are, yeah, they're, they're weird. Most people don't play them. And they desperately need a streaming stick. They need something simple, cheap, and light that can plug into the back and just provide you tvOS. It doesn't have to be good at gaming. doesn't need a dedicated controller. I also heard people talking about Apple making their own controller. I'm like, oh, yep. God. Ugh, they're, they're completely missing the mark on what the TV market needs. And the fact that they haven't learned their lesson from this guy, which is three years old, and the market has spoken on whether or not they want to do gaming on the Apple TV, they don't. And Apple hasn't really learned their lesson. They're just like, well, let's let's put a better chip inside, and then it'll be better. No, it's not going to fix anyone's problem with it. They just need a way to minimize this into something light and small. And it's that I, I don't use it. I'm happily using my Roku every day, though. I'm fine <laughs> with that thing. Works great. <laughs> so, uh, to further group point, I also have an Apple TV 4K in the other room with a 55-inch 4K TV, which I never use. Like <laughs> I like you, you guys know I have been binge watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I will not <laughs> lie to you, I've been watching every episode on my iPad Pro 12.9 inch. I don't even I don't use my Apple <laughs> That's TV. That's the better product. I don't even use my Apple TV. I just use my iPad. Put some headphones on, watch it on the iPad. I'm good to go. So I'm with Drew. I don't I don't mean I don't I don't want to say Apple TV has been a failure, but it's just it's it, it doing it's doing too much. It's it not it's doing too much for what we need it for. We don't need it to do all the stuff that Apple is trying to get it to do. Like Drew said, it'd be a lot mm -hmm. more effective and hell, it might be a lot more profitable and a lot more cost effective for Apple if they just made a dog one, just be done with it. Like you said, that's what, so many other markets have done that too. Like Android has done that, Roku has done that, Amazon's done that. I don't know why Apple's the one company that of all of all products, they're the ones who can't shrink it down and make it small enough. They're yeah. usually the company to make the smaller phone, make the smaller device. It This current situation we're in right now is if Apple only released the 11 Pro Max last year and they didn't release <laughs> an 11 or an 11 Pro. And right. it was just the $1,100 Pro Max and there was no other new iPhone. Everyone would be like, okay, that one's fine, but you should also make some regular ones for everybody else. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. So... Um, we also have a report from our buddy John Prosser that there will be new hardware at WWDC, in mm -hmm. particular the AirPod Studio and the AirTag. He said something about right. a new MacBook Pro, but we they already released an updated 13-inch MacBook Pro. So, Drew, what are your thoughts on the AirPod Studio, which are Apple's potential over-ear headphones? I'm very curious because the, the design has so far been pretty much unknown. And there's very few Apple products we don't get to really see the, the look of them until the event. It sounds like this is going to be one of those times where we actually see it for the first time on stage. But um, at the same time, this is a really oversaturated market. There's yep. a ton of over-ear headphones they're competing with. The AirPods, I felt like, were kind of their own thing. There weren't really that many wireless headphones that you know didn't actually have a wire between them. And when Apple went into that market, there wasn't much they were competing with. It was kind of like the wireless earbud market, but they they changed the game with that one. They were, you know, next level with the wireless level because truly right. wireless. Mm -hmm. But uh, with these, you've got Sony, you've got Bose, you've got Beats, which they own. You've got uh, Surface Studio headphones now, which are 
getting some pretty positive feedback for the the new price drop at 250. I I honestly am trying to find a way that Apple could make a better pair of headphones than anyone else right now. And the audio team is solid at Apple. They they make some amazing sounding speakers for their hardware and they've made some decent sounding headphones, but my guess is it's not going to overtake people's preferred performance of the Sony's or the Bose when it comes to sound quality or noise cancellation. Um, seeing how bumpy the firmware has been for AirPods Pro ANC. I feel like AirPods Studio, if they want to do it right, they should orient them more as a Mac accessory than an iPhone accessory. It's something that you can plug into for audio engineering and have low latency and really uh, high quality audio for audio mixing because there's a lot of people in the Mac field that do audio uh, mm -hmm. engineering. So I think that's where it belongs, but I'm worried that they're going to advertise it more as this is great for listening to Apple Music on with your iPhone and you can set it up and easy to pair and Siri is built in. I'm like, oh God, we don't need that. No, I, I would um, agree with you. Uh, will you be able to plug them into the, the audio port on the MacBook? I, I am with you, Drew. That is, I think it will be highly to Apple benefit to make sure that these things come with an auxiliary port so you can plug them into the MacBook because I don't know if if you're going to be pretty competitive with the only wireless set of headphones, because like you said, the market is already saturated. I got a bunch yeah. of them on top. I got the Sony's on my head here. I got the Bose right. under here. I got the Surface headphones, and they're all doing big things, and they're excellent. Now, mm -hmm. I have said in the past, though, that anytime Apple can introduce a new product category that can integrate directly with iPhone, that their product has a chance to dominate. And I, I think that's still true for even if they come out with these over-ear headphones. But if they bring them out the same way they brought out the HomePod, like handicapped and lacking features, they're going to get crushed. <laughs> like, because one thing right. that we, we know Apple can do audio, because as much as I hate the HomePod, the audio from the HomePod is, is excellent. It's like top right. notch. So right. if they could bring out a top level audio experience with these headphones, then they have a chance. But it, it's more than audio now. You got like all these different features. And I think Apple can compete with the feature set too. But they got they can't handicap them. They got to come out hard hitting because there's way too much competition, competition in this space to come out too soft. And especially if they're supposed to start at three fifty, yeah, uh, very high priced. So, and also a lot of the benefits of of being in the ecosystem and working with other Apple products and ease of setup is like you can already get that with AirPods. So, what's the justification to go with the over ears? Is it just personal preference or battery life or like, uh, yeah, I, I think they've they've got a really really tough market that they're entering with AirPods Studio. So I. I hope they orient it as something that can be used with the Mac uh, really uh, efficiently, but I, I've got that Apple feeling in me right now that's saying it's going to be more like the HomePod where it's going to only work with AirPlay and oh, not work with Android phones. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. it's going to be oh. bullcrap. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I don't think it'll be only work with it. It won't work an Android phone because it will be a Bluetooth headphone. Or at least it better be a Bluetooth headphone. I um, hope so. <laughs> otherwise, you just, 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 just don't even release it. Don't waste our time. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm very intrigued to see what they do with those as well. But what are your thoughts on AirTag? It's kind of unfortunate because I think they've been working on them for a long time. And they're probably going to be one of the best tile trackers out there just from simplicity of setup and pairing and charging. They're just going to be really easy to use. But now everyone's at home and no one's really going out and about right, as much right. as they used to. So yep. I feel like it's a really unfortunate time to release them because a lot of people are going to be like, I don't, I don't need them. But the, the, I bet they'll work really well. They'll probably be more expensive than people think they're worth. But um, it's not that often that Apple enters a brand new product category like that. So 
I, I, I kind of wonder if it's unnecessary, like Apple's design team and their engineering, did they really need to focus on this market? Was this in need of their attention? The, the way I described it was always like, hey, we're driving Spotify out of business. Let's drive Tile out of business while we're at it. Let's just kill other <laughs> startups <laughs> because we can do it better. So did they need to do this? Maybe not, but who knows? Maybe they have some type of feature that other companies can't keep up with. And But it sounds like it'll be integrated really well with the Find My app and just everything will work seamlessly. I just can't see myself using it. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I've never had, I've never myself have had the need to go out and buy any towel trackers. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you could lose something at any time, but I just have never felt the need. And we know Apple doesn't come cheap usually. So if they do come out with their own tracking devices, they're probably not going to come cheap. And no. I mean, it is good that you'll have the entire iPhone network out there to ping your lost devices off of. Right. Should they get lost? So that'll be nice. Um, because no matter how big tracker is, tra- uh, towel is, they're not Apple big. So no. if you got the, if you got the whole iPhone network out there um, that you could use to ping a lost device, then you are definitely already uh, ahead. But I don't know, man. Like you said, we're not we're we're in the house now. We're gonna be in the house for the foreseeable future. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I can't imagine people are gonna run back out and be all over. Like even when we're on the other side of the pandemic, there's still mm-hmm. gonna be a period of time that needs to be had before we feel like comfortable doing that stuff again. So I don't know, man. It's just it's a uh, yeah. This, this might be a bad time for Apple to come out with this type of product, but who knows. They might have something with the ultra wideband chip that kind of separates them from other tracker devices. I, I might pick up mm-hmm. a few just to make videos about, but I don't I don't see myself keeping them because I'm trying to think of the last time I just like legitimately lost something. But I've been at home right. for the past six months, so it's it's rare. Right. Okay. So I want to talk about uh I want to talk about something that I addressed recently and you just made a video about it not too long ago. Supposedly, very, very soon, we are going to get a completely portless iphone now (laughs) i i personally don't believe that we are quite ready yet because Mm -hmm. i don't think we have an infrastructure in place to support a completely portless iphone what -hmm. are your thoughts on a completely portless iphone as soon as next year i would be okay with it but it's a bad idea apple should not build a phone around what i need because i'm a weird nerd (laughs) Um, <laughs> so they're they're not putting 120 hertz in this year, and that's probably a good idea. But I'm I'm going to be mad about it. But I don't I barely use the port in my phone. I, I'm fine with doing everything wirelessly. But it would be a horrible idea to start rolling that out as soon as next year because uh, people are ha- already having a hard time justifying upgrading their iPhone. They already are kind of like. Why do I need this one? Oh, it has a smaller notch. This is a better camera. I, I don't care about that. And this is a drawback. Having no port is a, not a feature. This no. is a downside um, that people are like, wait, I have to use my phone differently now. I can't use it in bed when I, that's normally how I charge it. Uh, I have to buy new chargers. My old CarPlay accessories don't work. It's a big drawback of sales in a year when sales are already going to be seasonably low because I feel like the iPhone 12 lineup is pretty major. And anytime you have a pretty major lineup, it's got to be followed by a very minor lineup, uh, an S year. And anytime we have a big major year, it's going to be followed by an S year, a real minor year. So people are already going to have a hard time. Like, why should I get the 12S or whatever they end up calling it? And if Apple's motivation to get the new iPhone is it's faster, but there's no charge port, so many people are going to be turned off by that. They're going to be like, eh, I, I don't see the point in upgrading. Why bother? 
and it doesn't really add much. I know, I know a lot of people are like, well, this is inevitable. This is what Apple wants to do. And I used to defend that too. I used to say, you know, eventually they want to get to the no, no port at all phase, but I, I've come to realize like that's going to hurt their sales drastically. And when Apple removed the headphone jack, that was pretty bad. You know, they got a lot of backlash. They got a lot of people upset and we moved on from it because there were different standards to move towards. Right. Um, and they unveiled AirPods. They were like, we don't need the headphone jack anymore. This is the solution. They need something like that if they're going to remove the charge port. They can't just remove it and leave wireless charging as it is currently, whether yep. it's kind of replicating what OnePlus did with ultra fast wireless charging or... I don't think this technology is ready, but some type of over-the-air type charging where the phone can charge from further away. But yeah. I still think that tech is years away, years yeah. and years away. Um, so in a sense, that's what I mean by don't remove the charge port yet because yeah. uh, you don't really have an AirPods type approach of, well, this is better than wired charging. They don't really have that yet because a lot of people aren't on board with wireless as much as I am. Uh, I completely admit there's tons of people that would be annoyed by that. They would not see it as a good reason to upgrade. Um, it, it would be kind of similar to if, what if Apple released the iPhone 7, no headphone jack, but the cameras were the same, the display was the same, the home button was the same, there was no stereo speakers, there was no water resistance, and basically all they did the following year was make the CPU a little faster and remove the headphone jack. <laughs> everyone would just, everyone would have hated it. There would have been very little people lining up for the iPhone 7 if all they did was update the processor and remove the headphone jack. And it was, other than that, the same as the 6S. I think that would have been a flop, and that's what will happen if Apple tries to remove the charge port next year. So I hope they don't, but knowing them, it sounds like they might try to do something drastic. I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I think this is a lot different from when they removed the headphone jack because when they removed the headphone jack, Bluetooth was already in place and it was already established. So we had yeah. something to fall back on. There is nothing to fall back on. Wireless charging is not at a point yet where we can rely on it as the single point of charging your device. No. Not to mention the fact that if something happens to the device and we need to troubleshoot, a lot of times what we do is we go to the computer, plug it in, and then we try to right. troubleshoot it and reboot it and things like that. With a wireless device, like how does that work? I mean, if the device is brick, you, I mean, your only option is to mail it in more or less. I don't know how, what else you can do <laughs> yeah. about that. So right. if you're going to go completely portless, you have to have some type of infrastructure in place to handle all the issues that could arise with a completely mm -hmm. portless device. Like you said earlier, um, we are wireless charging and it's not fast enough to be the only option available. Like mm -hmm. they would have to have some type of fast wireless charger like OnePlus and Samsung does to even consider this. And even then, I was still uh, warned against doing a completely portless device this soon. Now, fun yeah. fact, it was rumored that Apple actually wanted to come out with a portless iPhone back with the iPhone 10, which was like I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so apparently Apple's been ready to pull the trigger for a while now. But this is like I said, this is a lot different from when we just uh eliminated the headphone jack. I mean, this is some this is beyond courage right now. I mean, you, yeah. if you if you remove the port, it's not courage, baby. It's just it's insanity at this point. I don't know, but I mean <laughs> maybe Phil Chiller could say that on stage. <laughs> we did it for one reason insanity. Insanity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We are insane enough. We have the insane. We have we have the insane people enough to get this done. You will like it. <laughs> you will like it. Well, you while like it's it. true that if they did 120 hertz on that phone and there was no charge port, I would buy it. Uh, I still don't think that many people would. Uh, I would be very fine with it, but I I think as a market, 
there would be a lot of backlash for that, like the headphone jack times 10. And uh, I, it might come from, I feel like it might stem from their obsession with privacy and security, because I know there's been devices that can kind of brute force their way into the iPhone through the charge port. So they feel like they might be able to bypass that if they removed it. But um, the sales for that phone would be so low. I, I know there's been the other weird thing about those rumors is that they're saying it'll just be the high end iPhone. It'll just be one portless iPhone next year. Right. But they've, they've never really done a move like that where they just remove it on one. Like they didn't just remove the headphone jack on the seven plus, but they kept it around on the set. Like it doesn't sound right, which is what makes me think the leaks are talking about a prototype. I'm sure there's portless prototypes, but I don't think that confirms that they're absolutely coming out with a portless one. Um, just because of how the market is handling iPhones right now, I think it would be suicide basically to go into that. Yeah, I like I like I'm I'm with you. I don't think we're ready. Well, we're not quite ready for a completely portless iPhone yet. We are moving that way. And obviously I want USB C. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I'm with John Proctor, though. I think we'll have a Portland iPhone before we have one with USB Type-C, unfortunately, yeah. although that would be ideal. That would be more ideal than a Portland iPhone at this moment. I want them to change their mind. <laughs> I, know that, <laughs> I know the rumors aren't leading towards that, but I want them to be like, okay, we can't get away with a portless iPhone anytime soon. So if it's going to be until we get over the air charging, let's just settle with USB-C in the meantime. That's what I hope they eventually come around to, but I know it doesn't sound like they're gonna. Wouldn't that be nice, man? Wouldn't that be nice? Mm -hmm. All right, before we get out of here, let's talk about one more potential new Apple product that is supposedly in the works, and that is the AR glasses. Um, oh yeah, are, yeah, that's right. Our buddy John Prosser uh, dropped a bunch of details last month about the AR glasses. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, he says that we shouldn't get too excited as far as functionality goes because I guess it's going to be more of a notification hub. But when mm -hmm. I think about AR glasses, Drew. I think about something that already exists in Apple Map, right? They have the flyover view. When you, if you're yeah. looking like, if you're looking around a certain like part of a city, and um, if you zoom in on a certain business, it'll give you the name of the business and like phone number information, things like that. So mm -hmm. I think that the AR glasses can potentially be like that. Like if I'm wearing them, walking around downtown somewhere, I look at an establishment, I can it pulls up the the name, phone That'd number, cool. menu. If it's a restaurant, pulls up maybe the menu, things like yeah. that. I think that would be I the ideal type of functionality and situation for AR glasses. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I didn't even list that in my use cases video, but I feel like a lot of people don't understand or really grasp the, the potential of AR glasses because there is so much you can do with them in that market, especially like you said, the, the just public interaction, um, being able to, because I've seen these leaks of the glasses being able to look at certain QR codes and display certain holograms based on what those codes are. Um, the potential there is huge for, for I mean, billboards, for, for walking down the street and having things pop out. And uh, there's so many applications, just the gaming industry, notifications, uh, all the AR games and LiDAR experiences we have right now being just on your face. There's, there's so much potential there and how they can interact with your already pre-existing devices that I feel like a lot of people don't really understand yet because I've seen so many people say, well, they're just glasses. Who cares? Why is that a big deal? It's like, no, this is this unifies everything. This can basically let 3D holograms be a thing in real life as long as you're wearing them. Um, I hope his leaks are true. A lot of them sound too good to be true that I have a hard time believing them. Just looking at the current market of augmented reality glasses, I'm just I, I, I don't know how that they can enter the price point at that 
at that low of an entry. But at the same time, yeah, I think when it comes to next generation Apple products, you know, we hear about AirTags or AirPod Studio, the glasses, I think are the next big one. I think mm-hmm. that's that's going to be as big or bigger than the Apple Watch becoming like a new a new big mm-hmm. product category for Apple that we come to expect on an annual basis. Um, because I think the AR glasses, when they come out, are going to have a ton of potential, but they're going to be very limited in their first generation. People yeah. are going to be like, ooh, battery isn't that great. Pixel density is not great. Um, they're very iPhone dependent. And we will be able to see once they come out how much room there is for growth in the future. And then there will be a lot of demand for it. And then Apple can start doing new ones every year, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I think the first generation is not going to be much to write home about. I mean, it'll be mm-hmm. exciting because there'll be new technology. It'll be a new product category for Apple. So in that yeah. sense, it will be exciting. But as far as features and functionality, uh, I'm with John Proctor. I will kind of temper your expectation because I don't think it's going to be too much in the way of mind-blowing features and functionality. Not in the first gen, but like you said, they have massive potential, people. Massive. Mm-hmm. In the long term, maybe yeah. not the first gen, but yeah, they kind of like the Apple Watch. A lot of people were iffy about it when it first came out, when yep. people were trying to open apps and, and do basic things on the watch and it was taking forever to load. Everyone was like, eh, is this going to be a thing? This seems real <laughs> stupid. Years later, number one watch in the world. Like by far, by far, yeah. no doubt. They stay committed. That's that's uh, other than the iMac, you know, <laughs> Apple when they release a new product, they they stick to it. Even if it doesn't get a lot of traction at first, they'll they'll iron it out until it does get traction. Oh, yeah. You know, Apple will be reiterating and uh, uh, adding new features year over year because that's what they do yeah. out there at the Spaceship at Cupertino. They make things better and better. That's right. No doubt. <laughs> that's right. Legendary Apple sheep, Drew Taylor from Tech. Thank you for the conversation, man. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Oh, it's always Happy fun. Happy to come back. always fun. I mean, at this point, we know where to find you. Just type in Taylor from Tech everywhere and you'll find them. If you don't know how to spell Taylor from it is T-A-I-L-O-S-I-D-E. Um, if you're listening to this on audio only, uh, check the show notes. All his information will be down there as usual. But that will be it for episode number 92. Once again, thank you to Drew. Appreciate you, man. For those of y'all listening on audio only, thank you for listening to another episode of Vibe Drive this week. Hang with me and my man, Taylor of Tech. Appreciate you guys rocking out. If you want to support the podcast monetarily, there will be links in the show notes for you to do that. It's not required, but anything that you can do is greatly appreciated. Also, if you happen to be listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating or review as to help more people discover Vibe Drive, and that is what we want. But that will be it for this episode. But until the next time, people, this your boy, Viper, the man about tech. You know where to find me. So come back for more. This your boy, Taylor. <laughs>